0: though, is they bring up questions uh, that evolutionary scientists cannot answer. As, as a uh, basic premise, they think that man started out basically as an animal and gradually got the intelligence that he has now, uh, but that was a long, gradual process, and that is not the case. You know, if, if you think that, then when you look at some of the things that were done thousands of years ago, you, you can't understand how they were done because people weren't supposed to be all that smart back then. Well, God created people intelligent. I think you could make a good argument for the fact that people are not as smart now as they used to be. But that's just me. But uh, uh, one of the things that's interesting about the Old Testament is the fact that you get to see... Uh, How God interacted with people and some of the things that people did back then. And again, some of the things that they did are mirrored in in the conduct of people today. And so you can look at what they did, you can see how God reacted to that, and you can make the assumption that God will react in more or less the same way now. Uh, So it can be a very, very valuable thing if we're capable of learning from somebody else's actions and that's a hard thing to do it's a really hard thing for us to learn from our own mistakes and it's really really hard for us to learn from somebody else's mistakes because a lot of the time we have the idea well you know yeah that happened to them but it won't happen to me because i'm smarter i'm better there's no way that i'm gonna let that happen to me and then when it does happen you know it had to have been somebody else's fault We, we couldn't have done that um uh, what I wanted uh, what I wanted to do this morning is, is look at one particular account first Samuel chapter 15 we talked a little bit about that in our our bible study period but I want to look at that and draw some parallels uh from that to the way people are now uh and you see what God said about it then and you can imagine that God feels the same way about it now uh Now, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, this is uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 10, saying, I greatly regret that I set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I have done what God told me to do. And he's implying that he's done it all. I've done exactly what God said. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. He said, I know you didn't do what God told you to do and right there is the evidence. It ought to be plain to anybody. You didn't do what you were told. So Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, condemned from his own mouth there, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. What, Sam, uh, what Saul has done is he has followed a pattern of excuses that is still really, really common today. Uh, oftentimes, if, if you talk to uh, people who are members of other religious organizations, denominational churches, and you point out to them that what they are doing is not something that's authorized by the New Testament, they'll just brush it off. Yeah, we're, we're doing exactly what God's told us to do. Uh, I, I grew up going either to the Church of God or Baptist Church, depending on who happened to be closer at the time. And uh, one of the things that I found that they all have in common is they say, we follow the Bible, and we do what God tells us to do. But then you start to look at the Bible, and you look at what they're doing, and you say, well, that's not so. You're doing this, which is not authorized by Scripture. You're not doing that, which Scripture commands. Then how can you say that you're doing what God requires you to do? And this is a problem not only with uh, uh, groups of people, denominational churches. It's also true of individuals. We like to do what we think will make us feel better in doing what God commands, but we oftentimes won't carry all the way through. There are one or two little things that maybe, well, you know, I don't really want to do that, or I don't really want to give that up. Close is good enough. That's the way people think. Close is good enough. Saul went and did most of what God told him to do. He was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites, wipe them off the face of the earth. And he did most of that. He kept the king Agag alive and the best of their flocks, the best of the animals. He kept those alive. So, you know, he was almost all the way there, but not quite. And he considered that to be good enough. And Samuel said, no, it's not. Just getting close to what God requires is not enough. You have to do what God says do. Now, there are a couple of uh, examples that I think kind of highlight the point. Uh, One of them uh, found over in the book of Leviticus, In in the book of Leviticus, in in chapter 10, you have requirements given by God as to what people are supposed to do, and you have some of those requirements not met. Uh, Verse 1, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. This is a really, really interesting uh, event, even though it doesn't take up very much room at all. You have uh, Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, they're priests and they're going to offer incense before God. If if you've ever seen a a, a movie or uh, perhaps uh, like a Catholic mass on television and they've got these uh, metal balls on the end of a chain, they swing back and forth and smoke's coming out of it. That's essentially what he's talking about here. You had incense that was to be offered before God. He had specified where the fire was supposed to come from. It was supposed to come from the altar. Well, Nadab and Abihu evidently thought fire is fire. What difference does it make? It says here, and this is the New King James rendering, it says they offered profane. Now, profane has a little bit different meaning than we usually use the term now. Profane just means common. It's not holy. It's profane. It's common every day. Nothing special about it. So when they offered profane fire before God, God killed them. Fire went out from the, from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Now, you know, you'd have a lot of people who said, that is a little tiny thing. They were burning incense just like they were supposed to. So why did God kill them just because they got the fire from a different place? You know, it's not that big of a deal why is God so unreasonable? It's not what they did, it's why they did it. And that's one of the things we need to bear in mind, because a lot of the time we tend to uh, separate sins into two groups, big sins and little sins. And we think, well, God is interested in the big ones. We can't do the big ones because, you know, God will condemn us for that. Little sins, he'll just overlook those. You know, God's not going to pay attention to the little ones. And that's not the case, because oftentimes it's not what you do as much as it is why you do it. Now, in this case, God said, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. Why did God say that at this time? Because Nadab and Abihu... We're not coming before God as a holy being. They weren't glorifying God the way they were supposed to. So it's the attitude that they had that led to the sin which they committed, which was the problem. Little things matter. Now, one of the things that is really, really important to remember, God is not up in heaven just looking for excuses to condemn us. And I'm not trying to say that that every little thing we do, God is just going to say, "Aha, caught them. They're not going to make it to heaven. They're condemned." That's not the way God works. As a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite. God tries to give us every opportunity to do the right thing, so that we can go to heaven when we die. So it's not a matter of God being nitpicky. It's a matter of the attitude that the person has. It doesn't really matter what I do. God said do this, but I'm going to do what I want. And that is an attitude that will get us into an awful lot of trouble because that's one of the things that's difficult to get over. Numbers chapter 15, you read about a man who is caught picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. And they didn't know what to do with him. So they they took the man, they inquired of God, what should we do about this? And God said, stone him to death. For picking up sticks? How unreasonable. It's one of those things, I, I don't think that this account is where it is by accident. Because if you back up just a little bit what you find is God is talking about the penalty for presumptuous sin. And then you have this this account of the man that's picking up sticks, and then he goes back into uh, what he had been talking about before, sacrifices and things that were to be offered. Why did God inspire Moses to put that account where he did? It's like, you know, presumptuous sin. Oh, and by the way, here's an example of it. So what he's talking about is not so much the fact of the man picking up sticks on the Sabbath. It's the attitude that led to the action. The man is saying, well, I know perfectly well that God said we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. We all understand that completely. But I wanted to go and pick up sticks and this is a good time to do it. So I'm going to just go ahead and do it anyway. I'm going to do what I want to do not what God said to do. Presumptuous sin. Nadab and Abihu guilty of the exact same thing. So it's not a matter of God being unreasonable. It's not a matter of looking at big sins and little sins. It's a matter of the attitude of the person leading to what they're doing. Are you going to regard God as holy and do what he said to do the way he said to do it? Or are we gonna think, well, close is good enough. You know, God's not gonna require me to do anything more than that, surely. Well, Samuel told Saul that that's not the way it works. You have to do what he said to do the way he said to do it. Have the right attitude about it. Over in James chapter two, there's a, a verse there Uh, that has has caused people a lot of trouble from time to time this is one of those things people have brought up to me occasionally uh, and ask my opinion about it because uh, James 2 and verse 10 says for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point he's guilty of all and they say well you know if if I do some little thing and I don't even know I did it Does that mean that I'm lost? He said, I'm guilty of the whole law if I stumble in one point. You know, surely God is not that unreasonable. And no, he's not. Take 1 John chapter 1, print it out, put it on the refrigerator or on the mirror in your bathroom or something, and read it every day. If we, John doesn't even exclude himself, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So it's not, again, so much what you're doing as it's the attitude behind it. And if you look at the context there of James chapter two, he says, verse 1, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. See, what the, what the brethren that James is, is writing to were doing is they looked with favor on rich people. And quite the opposite with poor people. And they seem to have the idea that this is a little thing God's not going to care And James says, oh, yes, he does. Not because of what you're doing so much as the attitude behind what you're doing. If you have a presumptuous attitude, if you have the attitude that I can do whatever I want to, and God's not going to care, you're wrong. You'll find out differently. We have to have the attitude that I'm going to do to the best of my ability exactly what God wants me to do. I know I'm gonna make mistakes from time to time, but when I do, when I realize what I've done, when it's been brought to my attention, I will repent of that and I will ask God to forgive me. And he's promised to do it. But in in, uh, Saul's case, I did what God wanted me to do because I did most of it. That's not good enough. You do it all or pretty much don't bother. And he says, you didn't obey the voice of the Lord. And then he says, uh, back in 1 Samuel 15, verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, the sacrifice to the Lord your God. There's two things here. Number one, Saul is trying to use as an excuse, but that's what the people wanted. People wanted this, so I, I had to go along. You know, people want a lot of things, and a lot of the time, it's things that are not good for them. You can't justify modifying God's rules because that's what people want. You know, if you, if you follow any of the uh, uh, more popular uh, denominational groups these days, one of the reasons that they will tell you that they do the things they do, times have changed. So we are not going to do things the way they used to be done in the old days because times have changed. People want something else. We're trying to meet the felt needs of the people. They're going by what the people say. They, they do what the people want, and you'll be really popular if you do that, but the problem is you'll only be popular with the people, not with God, and that was what uh, Samuel was trying to get through to Saul. You didn't do what you were supposed to do, and saying that the people wanted to do it is no excuse. Now you think about this. Who was the king? Saul was the king. The people were supposed to do what Saul said, not the other way around, but he was going to do it because the people wanted it. We're doing it because the people want to, and we're doing it for a good reason. That has, has been the attempt to justify more things, uh, more error in the Lord's church than just about anything else. We're doing it for a good reason. That may not have been exactly what God wanted us to do, but we've got a really good reason for doing it this way. Now, first of all, could you possibly be any more arrogant than to say something like that? God said do it this way. We're gonna do it that way because we think it's better. I have come up with a better plan than God. That's essentially what they're saying. We have a really good reason for doing it this way, so we're gonna do it our way, not God's way. You're saying my way's better than God's. And if that is not the height of arrogance, I don't know what is. You can't do something because you think it's for a good reason. You know, we don't have the right to do that. On the one hand, God knows things we don't know. God has, has purpose in mind of which we're not aware. God has a timeline for things that we don't know anything about. So we do what God tells us to do, knowing that what he says is right, in spite of what we may personally want to do. You know, I've, I've heard people, and this is just one example, there are quite a few other ones that we could bring up, but I, I've heard uh, people oftentimes talking about mechanical instruments of music and worship and they'll say well, you know, that's not a big deal. It makes our worship better. It makes our singing better. No, it doesn't. It does not. One of the things that I have heard most often from people who are members of denominational religious groups who have come to visit services of the Lord's Church is they will remark on how good the music is, how good the singing is. You know, do you all get together and practice this? The singing was so good. So, you know, they think it's, it's better. So, you know, what does that say about, you know, adding mechanical instruments of music or a band or whatever, making it better? It says it doesn't. And even if it did, it wouldn't matter because God didn't tell us we could do that. Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19, we're supposed to sing. That's what he gives us the the right to do. We have permission to do that, but not all this other stuff. And it's not better. But people oftentimes will do that. All kinds of problems have been excused. All kinds of, of false doctrines have been excused by saying we had a good reason to do it. We were gonna sacrifice these to the Lord your God in Gilgal. That's why we kept them. That's probably not true. They probably thought those are really good, valuable animals, let's just keep them. But even if it is true, or was true, it doesn't make any difference. You know, in in Psalm 50, God is is talking about the sacrifices that the people uh, gave because they started to have the same kind of idea that a lot Uh, Of the pagan people did We're, we're doing these sacrifices because God needs that He needs these things for some reason But in the 50th Psalm God says no, I don't The cattle on a thousand hills are mine if I was hungry. I wouldn't tell you He's saying I don't need the sacrifices As a matter of fact, when you get over into Philippians chapter 4, Paul is talking about uh, the Philippian brethren and their support of him in preaching the gospel. He said, I'm not asking for this because I need it, because I've learned how to get along with a lot or with a little. He said, I want to sacrifice for your benefit. The, The sacrifices that we give today, whether you're talking about the fruit of our lips or whether you're talking about giving... Uh, money in a material way, whether you're talking about giving time uh, to help the church in its mission to seek and save that which is lost, any of those things are for our benefit. They help us. It's not for God's benefit. He doesn't need it. It's His anyway. Everything on the face of this planet belongs to Him. He doesn't need us to give Him anything. It's for our benefit, but to say that we're doing it for a good reason that justifies all kinds of things that people should not be doing. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 23, Paul talked about things that have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, and they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. They have decided what to do, and it looks like it's a good thing. But if you really stop and think about it, if you really start studying on it and and thinking about it, it's not such a good thing after all. Self-imposed religion is always wrong. We either do what God says or we're wrong. And that was the problem here with Saul. He did most of what he was supposed to do, but he didn't do all of what he was supposed to do. The people took of the plunder sheep and oxen the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He knew what he was supposed to do and he didn't do it. He's trying to explain it away. I'm not wrong, the people are at fault. You know, blame somebody else for it. it, wasn't my problem. But what does Samuel tell him? Verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. He says, I want your obedience. That's what is important, not the sacrifice. You know, I mentioned Psalm 50 a little bit ago, and uh, if you get into Psalm 51 where David, uh, and, and that's that's one of the greatest uh, Psalms there are in my opinion. If you want to see what comes out of a broken heart, that's what you find there. David realizes what he did with his sin with Bathsheba, and he, he understands the depth Uh, Of the problem that he's gotten himself into and he he makes mention. He said, you know, if, if you desired sacrifice, I'd give it I Would do anything to remove this blood guilt But the sacrifices that God wants and he understood it were a broken and contrite heart God wants you to want to do the right thing And that's what David said a broken and contrite heart is what God wants It's not the sacrifices. We do those because God told us to and because they're for our benefit. God wants our attitude to be right. You know, the the right attitude will lead to right actions. A bad attitude will lead to bad actions. You've got to have the heart right first. Everything else just follows along with it. And that's what Samuel is trying to get through Saul's head. God does not want the sacrifices. He wants you to obey the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. And in verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You shall not suffer a witch to live. And he says rebellion is equivalent to that. Now think about that all Saul did was he left one person alive and the best of the flocks other than that he did exactly what God told him to do he went on the mission he utterly destroyed the Amalekites is just a couple of minor little details that he did not quite follow through with Agag is still alive the best of the sheep and the oxen are still alive other than that he did it did everything God said and what does Samuel tell him? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. He said that's rebellion against God because you knew what to do and you chose not to do it. That's rebellion against God. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. You're, you're rebelling against God. You're stubborn in not doing what God told you to do. You've rejected the word of the Lord, all because of a minor little detail. Again, it's not so much what Saul did as the attitude that led him to do it. And that oftentimes is the problem. People, yeah, I know what God said to do, but I don't really want to do that. Or I know God said to do that, and I really don't want to. You know, it's a little thing, it's a minor thing. God's not gonna care about that, he won't even notice it. You know, yeah, people are like that. They don't notice things a lot of the time. And a lot of time, even if they do notice it, if you wait long enough, they'll forget all about it. For me, that's usually about two to three minutes that I've forgotten. God doesn't forget, never ever. He always remembers things. And if we don't have the proper attitude toward the commands that God has given us, we'll end up hearing the very same thing that Saul heard, that he was rebellious, he was stubborn, he wasn't doing what God told him to do. Little things do matter, not because of them in and of themselves, but because of the attitude that leads us to do them. We have to get the heart right first if we decide from the heart to do what God tells us to do we'll be right we'll make mistakes from time to time but it's not because of rebellion or stubbornness it's because we made a mistake weakness overcame us briefly something like that those are sins that can be continually washed away by the blood of Christ again first John chapter 1 But when we decide to do what we're going to do because that's what we want to do rather than what god tells us to do we have a very serious problem again it's not that it's just a little thing that's done it's what attitude led us to do it the heart must be right first it might be that there's someone here this morning that needs to respond to the lord's invitation if you're here and you're not a christian God has given you another opportunity to obey the gospel of Christ. You don't have any guarantee of another one. But you could come forward this morning confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. Or it might be that you're an erring child of God. You've done something that has moved you away from God. If that something is public in nature, your repentance should be public as well so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. If it's something that only you know about, then go to God in prayer. Confess the sin to Him from a repentant heart and ask Him to forgive you. And He's promised to do that. Or it might be that there's someone here who just needs to come forward and ask for the prayers of those saints that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.